a very monumental moment in my faith walk was when I was about 16 years old. I was helping a man who I respect dearly, and a woman came in, and, and she had one leg shorter than the other, and she suffered deeply, and, he, and she asked if he would pray with her. I watched this lady's leg grow. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by Dave the Luddite Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I'll, I'll agree with that one. I am a Luddite. <laughs> I do still buy all my books in hardcover so that I can not be on a screen all day. Actually, the most time I spend on a screen is with you, Gomer. So, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. It's weird well, now. I Isn't this weird? Privileged. In, in coronavirus that I like my kids were basically raised as Amish children and now my nine year old will be like, I have a Zoom meeting for class at ten AM. So <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> hey, I've I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how's first of all, how's carnivore going for you? And did you eat differently on Easter? Uh, okay, so carnivore is going pretty well, let me tell you. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, me and Dave eat almost a strictly carnivore diet. My wife does too. So uh, my wife had a whole bunch of uh, medical work done, a blood tests and blood allergen tests. Recently? And Yeah, oh, and uh, totally unrelated things. She went to a functional medicine doctor. Here's the thing about doctors I've discovered. Uh, <laughs> so many of them do not care about your hormone levels, your allergy levels. Right. And until you go to a doctor that actually does medical tests on that, you, right. it might be totally unrelated right. to what the treatments are. So anywho, freaking doctors. Uh, so my wife goes to this functional medicine doctor, does this blood serum allergen test, you know, okay, and finds that she's allergic because of the the carnivore diet as an elimination diet, she started getting noticing all these symptoms on certain foods that she would eat, like eggs and whatnot. Found out she's like horribly allergic to that. Well, it all leads to she might have like Hashimoto syndrome or okay. whatever it might be. Okay. So um we started uh basically the coronavirus quarantine led this extrovert to get a little uh cabin fever depression going on. And there was maybe about, while well, we were waiting for the blood work to come back, so it's kind of this weird in-between time, I hit a wall okay. with the situation. Okay. And so we started having wine at night. Yeah. And then wine became low sugar ice cream, and I use it as a justification to eat it often. And so I be just began cheating like crazy. Okay, okay. And it was it was bad, but it was funny because we both saw – how it was like emotional eating, yeah, you know? Right. So I went back to the weights and my wife um, got the blood test and maybe Hashimoto's, maybe this, maybe that, anti-Candida diet and stuff like that. And we found out, okay, well, we're just going to go right back to carnivore. Yeah. And she has to be even more strict because she can't have any anything because of the Candida stuff. And so we're doing all this. And um, on Easter, what did I do on Easter? I... My wife made a dessert, which was heavy whipping cream and fruit. So okay. it was very, okay. very low carb, low sugar. Uh, that was a good idea. I think I think I had maybe a, a thing of yogurt, and then we just had ribeyes yeah. and a, a couple chicken breasts. Nice. That was awesome. I've been grilling like crazy. And then at night, 
this is my big I I yes, these last three days have been horrible okay. for me. Okay. Michael Gormley was in the tomb even on Easter Sunday. All right, all right. I uh just hor like just really rough with the kids. Okay. And I had prepare your heart for this. Okay. This is where your opinion of me, oh dear listener, will drop twenty points. Out of a 10-point scale. I don't know if I we have 20 two, points to drop. I, <laughs> I had two very large, you know those single cans that are really like two or three cans worth of alcohol? You know, I had Bud Light seltzers. <laughs> what are they? What is it? It's, What's there's a, a whole craze of, of seltzer water with alcohol in it. So I had two Bud Light seltzers because <laughs> I didn't want to drink just beer. I did because I the you know all this stuff. Right. So I get the seltzers and I and I drank that while watching Parks and Recreation uh, with my bride last that, night. That is funny. So I guess that's a whole <laughs> element to that diet that doesn't bother me because I don't drink. Like I don't enjoy it. So like I I don't miss it at all. But can I tell you my update? Yeah. So yeah, I wish you would. So Sunday morning was three months exactly on carnivore. Okay. Liter- okay. Literally, I have not eaten a, a vegetable in three months. Now, a few times I had barbecue sauce, but not yeah. not much. Okay, um, and then a few times I had like jalapeno poppers that without breading or anything that I made myself. But yes. I've I'm as of Sunday morning, I was down fifty five pounds. Whoa! Yeah, my hair is starting to turn brown again. Isn't that so funny? Yeah. And I'm losing the gray hairs from my beard. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I am like working out like a fiend. See that baby right there? Wow. I, wow. You're swooning right now, even as a, I am. As I am. <laughs> Be still my heart. Be still my heart. Um, but most of all, Gomer, here's the exciting part. <laughs> and you are pretty gray. You are yeah, pretty gray. Yeah, I know. My family turned my hair gray. Um yeah. the no, I'll t- I'll tell you this is the most exciting part. I finally, in the last four weeks, have started to feel the mental benefits of the keto diet. Mm. And I predict a deluge of content, new content coming out from me (laughs) in the next four months or so, because I am just voraciously studying, reading all this kind of stuff. And I realized what a fog I was in. So I know that's a th- that hit me week three. Okay, I would just walk around being like, "Are you kidding me?" Okay, so no- I think- do people normally feel this way? Right. It's all that keto. So, uh, so yeah. I think that I have because I'm losing so much fat. I think I that's why it took me so long to get that brain fog out because uh, it took a long time to shed like the whatever it was. But um, yeah. Anyways, my point is is that on Easter, I ate whatever I wanted, uh-huh. and. I, I like this morning I said to my I said to Amber like I'm glad I was able to eat with the family and everything but like I will I don't think I'll ever go back to that way of eating ever for the rest of my life like I just it yeah. it did not I didn't feel good I got my brain fog back immediately you know yeah so yeah anyways yeah, yeah I'm glad yeah me too that's so funny yeah. that is so funny I um right now going forward um the the coronavirus has done a lot of really good things in my life like it has slowed down a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, the the constant fever pitch uh, was it really is it's destructive, and so it slowed down a lot. Um, it's got me with my kids a lot more. I get to see how their schoolwork goes, right? You know, because we homeschool and all that stuff. Um, I've crushed so many dang home improvement projects. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Right. Right. 
I cleaned my grill so much that it looked brand new. <laughs> like I use an entire bottle of that orange citrus yeah, cleaner right, stuff. Right. Um, it, it, it is insane. But um, here's the funny thing. We started live streaming masses yeah. at my parish. And, and then I was on this Facebook watch app uh, on my Apple TV to do that. And then I was like, wait a second, like 500 masses pulled up. And so I started live streaming Bishop Barron's like right, early morning right. chapel mass, yeah. which was great because it the the it's filmed so close that I can like I'd pause it and be like, okay, that's a corporal, that's a purificator, oh, you know, I'm walking them that's through. Smart, smart. Yeah, because they were super close. And so I, to my daughter's preparing for first Holy Communion, Lord knows when that'll happen. I would say things like, hey, Cecilia, what did we just finish? She'd be like, the liturgy of the word, Dad. <laughs> what are we starting at? The liturgy of the Eucharist. Oh, that's interesting. You know, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, and so we've been doing that, and then I would say I got sick and tired of live streaming my Catholic faith, right? Probably about week three, and we began doing liturgies of the Word at home, okay, instead of okay. as our morning prayer instead of watching Mass, because there's this point where. You know, a lot of different podcasts have made these comments, but you can't just digitize a sacramental thing. No, faith. I know. I, right. Right. But it is excellent for connecting with people, sure. doing faith formation in certain ways, but you just can't replace the incarnational approach. And I realized that it almost made me feel like a spectator more. Like it almost, it. you know what I mean? Like there's that emphasis of like, now I'm church shopping. Sure. Uh, via an app oh, yeah. instead of via my feed. Oh yeah. And I one 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 morning Amber was like, So are we just are we gonna stream mass? And I was like, Well, my friend just told me that Father Mike Schmitz's homily was really awesome. So what if we did that one today? You know? Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, this is weird, you know. I know. It becomes that. And then so actually what I've done is the exact it, it's funny. Um for Easter Sunday we we stream the mass because my wife said, I want singing. Yeah. I want to hear the right. you know all that. Well the mass that I by the time our kids were like rolled around to it, um, it, we did the Bishop Aaron mass, which I wish I just would have done my own parishes mass, but because uh, there was no singing, oh, <laughs> there was really? no singing. Oh, that's funny. They had no choir. That's funny. So anywho, it, it's been weird. But I, you know, my buddy Luke talks about it. he is afraid of what Catholicism is going to look like on the other side of this. Yeah, because he's thinking. I've thought that it's gonna. Yeah, it's gonna look even worse because. We're desacramentalizing our faith in a lot of ways, rather than you know depersonalizing, deincarnationalizing. Right. You know, we're just reducing it to uh, like hyper spectatorism. Right. And uh, and uh, the guys over at Catholic Stuff, you should know the priests over there. They did a a podcast all on, on right before all this shenanigans called the Only the Lover Sings. Oh yeah, and I then love they that. followed it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they followed it up with. Um, an episode called Bacterial Scrupulosity. Okay. And both of those combined, I think, just are a, a counter viewpoint to just default streaming. I think streaming is good, but I think you, dear listeners, need, we need to find ways of doing liturgies of the word at home yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's a good thing to think about. I also think like... I mean, I'm I'm definitely in the camp of the the response was too extreme that we should have found more creative ways. You know, I'm I'm pretty happy with like some of the bishops who found you know did the parking lot masses and things like that. So I I, I fall on that, and I'm sure I'll get you know booze from that. But um, 
it's it seemed a little bit over the top in in some ways. Um, I I know of a priest uh, who just last week was, uh, and this had nothing to do with the church's response, but uh, was rejected from giving one of his parishioners last rites. You know, because she's in yeah. an old folks' home, and it's it's yeah. just I mean that's rough. You know, this is a that's a hard thing to understand and to handle and everything, and it's hard. This is this is a tough time, but I agree. Uh, some good things have happened personally in my life, and I'm realizing how. Um, you know, I, I hope that everyone is realizing that like you can be happy, like you don't have to be in the rat race and you can be happy. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. hope people are realizing that because I, I yeah, that, and, that would be a great and grace me and for you, our society. Yeah. And me and you are saying this as two people who just lost 50 percent of our income. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. We, we are we are not smoothly sailing by oh yeah i'm like with sucking my thumb and like rocking myself to sleep because i'm so nervous about <laughs> yeah stuff like that but um hey we have an email today that's near and dear we do near and we dear do. to my heart and i know you and i have talked a lot about this and i have some i i guess i don't know strong opinions about this topic and everything yeah. and we, we've mentioned it before on the podcast but uh what do you want me to read it yeah go for it okay michael and dave first off uh, I want to, even when I say your name, Michael, it's, it throws me it's like, who's Michael. Uh, first off, I wanted to say thank you for your podcast. I'm a seminarian. I incorporate much of what you guys say into my ministry. I'm wondering if you can speak on the role of signs and wonders in evangelization. Much of the success of the early church in acts in bringing about initial conversions came after miracles, which gave evidence to the truth of their preaching. It seems an openness to the charismatic gifts, especially healing and words of knowledge is growing in the church today. For example, the folks at Encounter Ministries are always equipping are equipping a lot of the faithful to be open to the charisms of the Spirit. It seems a lot of evangelical churches are doing the same thing, and they are very insistent on giving testimony about it. What do you think is the role of signs, wonders, and miracles in evangelization today? Uh, and uh, he, he's a, he's a seminarian. Is that right? Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, seminarian. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So. Um, He's going to get ordained to the transitional diaconate on April 25th in a private mass Ooh. without guests. How sad is that? Yeah, it is sad, sad. but also it's kind of like we're getting down to the basics here. Um, yeah, we are. So I have, I, you know, this has been kind of a, I'd say I have a four-year relationship to this question. That's what I'd say. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I've started and talking to you about this. Maybe, yeah, we've had two episodes where yeah, we talked about it. around on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I, you know, as I'm, I'm, I love the charismatic renewal. I love the Catholic charismatic renewal as a movement in the church. And I think that in a lot of ways, the Catholic charismatic renewal shaped my entire view of the church. Okay. Mm -hmm. Both negative and positive, I would say, but more, more so positive. Like for instance, I grew up in a charismatic community, um, which was super faithful to the church, you know, wasn't any, any kind of shenanigans or anything like that. Um, uh, entirely faithful to their bishop. So I didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, I went to Franciscan University, which was, uh, of course, shaped by Father Mike Scanlon, a leader of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. And um, and I still speak at many of the charismatic conferences and and things. And, and I will also say that it has shaped my evangelization, that I have experienced those times of signs and wonders and and that I believe in in healing. I certainly believe in charisms. I certainly believe that God can speak through others and give you words of knowledge. But I want to say this, and this is where I think I'll probably lose. This is where I'll lose so many friends here. <laughs> I am a little bit troubled by the um, importance that's being placed on it and almost the insistence 
of uh, healings and particularly words of knowledge to be part of evangelization. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't be. What I'm saying is that I'm starting to hear comments and see posts from leaders of this movement, which is kind of a movement within a movement, right? Uh, that would say things that would lead you to believe that if you are not laying hands on the sick and healing them, then you are not actually evangelizing. Um, and that, that to me is troubling, right? Because what we're talking about there, um, as one, you know, ca a famous intellectual Catholic who I really respect said is that, you're basically cutting out two thirds of the doctors of the church, you know, who have no recorded healings or anything like that. Are we saying that they're not evangelists? So I think that we have to be open to this stuff, but I think that we have to also look at it with, a, with some caution, because first of all, um, we want to make sure that we know that the real healing is the healing of hearts, which I think everyone at encounter ministries would admit that, you know, they would, they yeah. would say that. Um, and, and I think that, and I'm one who's so guilty of aggressive statements. I make the most aggressive statements and then I have to walk them back all the time. So I don't <laughs> I don't mind when people put stuff on Facebook uh, that I find a little bit aggressive. But what I do think is we have to be careful about qualifying evangelization through signs and wonders. And I also think we have to be really careful. And this is what's been troubling me a lot lately. I think we have to be really careful about telling other people that God told them something. Um, because I think what's happening is, uh, I, I, and I, I really, I hope I'm not offending people. I don't mean to, because I, I'm, I've been in the same boat, but I think that what you can do is you can water down God actually speaking to people. And I think in, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, yeah, God does give words of knowledge. He does. But for the most part, not everything that pops into our head when we pray is a word of knowledge. And I think a lot of the training schools, particularly the ones that are Protestant are, are so um, so desperate to have people open to God speaking to them that they say whatever you hear in the next minute is from God, and, and I think that's that can get troubling. But I believe in them, and I've seen them happen, and I've 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 uh, employed the charisms, and and I believe in signs and wonders, and I think that they can help and open people up. I just think we have to be careful about some of the rhetoric. I think. What, what do you think? Yeah. Okay. So. My experience of Catholicism is almost the opposite of yours. Right. Like you were raised right. in a charismatic community. Right. You had priests kind of shepherd you into that. And it's funny, you made a comment about exorcism ministry where there are only two types of priests who are exorcists. Yeah. The tradies and the charismatics. Yeah. Yeah. And in certain ways, they could not be more opposite, which is usually why they sit on opposite sides of a room right. Right. <laughs> from each other. One side with cassocks, the other with, I don't know, rainbow streamers. And, Stop. Uh, you didn't have to go Look at my glad tambourines. Look at my... <laughs> no, but uh, uh, rainbow stoles. That's what I meant. Um, the uh, No, but the, the amazing thing was I was brought up in that side, the traditional side. Um, you know, the, nothing good has ever come out of the Catholic Church after Thomas Aquinas kind of side, right? Like that was the the spirit that I breathe, the air that I breathe. Um, and it, and it wasn't until I went to Franciscan, and you know, my faith was the most important thing to me. It's what I define my life by, and it was still largely intellectual. So the charismatic renewal for me was the radical reorientation of my faith as a worldview that inhabited principally my intellect to a way of life yeah. that changed not just my intellect, not just my heart, but the way I lived, especially an interior life. Right. right. There was so much about my faith. I used to read, you know, 
undergraduate level theology books in high school, right? All the time. Yeah. I, I William May's Introduction to Moral Theology. Right. Right. I had as a junior in high school. And like, I loved this stuff, but I wasn't praying. Right. And it wasn't until I encountered the um, charismatic movement at Franciscan that my prayer life took on an intense and interior form. Yeah. Uh, okay. So with all of that said, one of the tendencies you see in Pentecostalism is the the primacy of experience yeah. and the uh, and the emphasis on the quality of the experience over these things. Now, like right, you the said, manifest are, presence of God rather than the guaranteed presence of God, right? Like, yeah, you know. and conversion, people turning away from sin to Christ, is the ultimate manifestation of divine power. Right. It's the ultimate manifestation of divine power. Not whether or not miracles, physical miracles, physical healings occur. I mean, what did Jesus say to the paralytic? The first thing he says to him is, my son, your sins are forgiven. Not rise, take up your right. mat and walk. He said that for the unbelievers. Yeah. Right? He said, but so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Rise, take up your mat and walk. Now, from the perspective of the paraly <laughs> uh, paralytic, I'm sure he wanted Jesus to flip that around, maybe. Right. Um, yeah, let's start with the walking. But the idea of signs and wonders is to confirm the message. When we put the signs and wonders first, we actually are doing the exact opposite of gospel-led evangelization. It wasn't that Paul started doing miracles and then preached the gospel. Although the, those outward manifestations often led unbelievers to begin to ask questions, um, it often came after months of preaching the gospels, and even if it doesn't, even if it's you know this this amazing thing like uh, the speaking of tongues and um, uh, on Pentecost, right, and then the preaching and people hearing in their own native tongue, like these things are are meant to confirm faith and conversion, not the other way around. They're not proof that we are um, that we are. How do I want to say it? The the manifestations are for the conversion of a soul. And if they're not needed, I think that we shouldn't become over-reliant on those manifestations. Our, our job is to bring about conversion. If the Holy Spirit wants to work a miracle or if the Holy Spirit doesn't, that's not up to us, right? Our whole trajectory is being faithful to what God has given us and preaching the gospel. Sometimes it'll manifest through charismatic, um, through miraculous signs and wonders, but sometimes it won't. The greatest signs and wonder is a conversion. Yeah, and I, man, I, that was really muddled. That was muddled. No, was no, that muddled? No, no, it wasn't muddled. It was good. I, I think like what I want to clarify, and I don't even think you. I, I mean, I don't even know if you think this needs to be clarified, but I want to clarify that there are more ways to put, like, I, I think that there are more ways to put signs and wonders in front of preaching the gospel than just, than just what you said. Like, I think okay. our, the the emphasis and maybe even the the uh, i get i guess what I, my worry is this that you can put so much emphasis on it that it it takes the front the forefront of the the focus of this stuff and and that's that's kind of a worry of mine and i, I want to say this that i have great respect for kind of the leaders of this new movement um i have great respect for them i just it there's there are things that are happening that I I think theologically need to be filled out a little bit. There are things that are happening, and and I and I will say this, and this is going to make a bunch of other people not like me too, but it's okay. No one really likes me. Um, 
I think connection to Bethel Church is problematic because I hundred percent because I I just like I think like when I hear at these charismatic conferences like people who are like oh we can't wait we're going to to this conference and then next week we're going up to to Bethel I I just it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I uh. think that Bethel is way off the ranch when it comes yeah. to theology Catholic theology so it's not. It wouldn't be like where I, I think it'd be pretty hard to like, you know, in a sense, eat the watermelon and spit out the seeds. Um, and in fact, like I, I, I recently got one of the books from their school. What uh, is it called? School of Supernatural Spiritual? Ministry. The That's School of Super, Supernatural yeah. Ministry. I, and I got one of their books. And, um, you know, I honestly I would I would put it on the shelf with like some occult books. That's that's the way I would look at it, because the way that they um, talk about prophecy to me is very problematic. Right. Like that. What like if I speak it, therefore it is true. I think that's tough. You know, that's a that's yeah. a tough. It's almost like ancient Gnosticism or like Manichaeism or something like that. Um, but um, but anyways, they're good Christian. I mean, they they believe in Jesus Christ and 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 yeah, I would hesitate to call that they're they're almost to the level in some of their theology. Um to the level uh, and I understand people this is very controversial. I warn people to stay away from even their praise and worship music even though maybe really? Bethel from Bethel stuff. Is that yeah, right? Like, isn't that isn't that Jesus culture too and Bethel like yeah. I'm I'm really nervous about that stuff because it, like would you just accept Mormon praise and worship? Huh. Because Mormons will say like I acknowledge Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior, he's the eternal son of God, blah 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 blah. But they believe they're polytheists at yeah. the end of the day. Like they've so like Joseph Smith used to con used to write in his writings. He would condemn Christians. He didn't view himself as just another branch of Christianity. Yeah. Um. But so when you start talking about that Pentecostalism, and this is distinct from charismatic Protestants, right? Char Protestants have even split along these lines. Like Pentecostals, oh, those are the people of the Holy Spirit. Not, not really, because there are charismatic. Protestants who would consider themselves, you know, conservative, orthodox, oh yeah, um, evangelicals who live by the power of the Holy Spirit, but Pentecostals are like a third branch right. of Christianity, right? You know, and um, for people to, so some Pentecostals don't believe in the Trinity, right? Um, right. That and if, uh, if you if you read Bill Johnson's homily or sermons, it he definitely like skirts that line where he'll say Jesus was a man so surrendered to the power of God that God gave him divinity or like drew him forth, you know? And it's like, Oh, yeah. those are tough yeah. statements to, to stomach. Right. But, but my, my point is this, I think like signs and wonders are so important. I think the theology is like 10 years behind. I, I don't know. I, I I'm, I'm troubled with yeah. the way it's being presented and the way it's being pushed and and in fact, like one one of the the leaders, at least self-proclaimed leaders of that kind of movement within a movement, um, liter will will very very confidently and, and very aggressively say he'll make lists unless you have laid laid hands on the sick and healed them, unless you have uh, cast out demons, unless you have done this, unless you have done that, you are not a disciple, right? I mean that that is a troubling thing to say, and and it Yikes. and it's totally outside of what the church teaches. So I, I mean, I want to tell you, I've, I've watched people being healed. In fact, a, a, a very, um, monumental moment in my faith walk was when I was about 16 years old. Um, I was helping a, a man who I respect dearly. His name was, uh, father, his name was Bobby Kavanar. He's a famous leader in the charismatic renewal. Um, 
he was setting up chairs for a prayer meeting and a woman came in and, and she had one leg shorter than the other and she suffered deeply. And he, and she asked if he would pray with her. And he said, David, why don't you come and pray with me? And I remember he closed his eyes and prayed and I watched, and I swear to you that I watched this lady's leg grow. And I remember hitting him on the shoulder and, and interrupting his prayer. And he said, what? And I said, her leg is growing. And he said, just like I, like I was an idiot, like, that's what we're praying for. And I remember like seeing this and just being awestruck at the power of God and watching this woman give her heart to the Lord because of this. So I don't, I want to express to you that I believe in them. I fully believe in yeah. healings and I, I love the saints too much to not see that. What I get worried about is the focus that we place. And I really am uncomfortable with the, the the theology, or at least what's being promoted as words of knowledge and prophecy, because I think it's dangerous to say, thus saith the Lord, um, when yeah. you're not 100% sure, you know? Yeah, and, you know, um, Mike Bickle, who is at who is, the International that now? House okay, of Prayer. Yeah, right, okay. International House of Prayer. He uh, has a conference every year called the One Thing Conference. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I've um, heard a lot of people go to that. A yeah, lot of Catholics. Well, now they have a, well, now they have a Catholic Okay. side of it okay. they've had it for about i think th four or five years okay um, matt marr and uh what's her name audrey Assad played for it cool and francis chan who is a famous evangelical leader yeah he, he went and talked and he audrey Assad told us when we interviewed her on our show like three or four years ago on catching foxes she said that he has always every time they've done an event together he always tries to convert her because he doesn't believe catholics are christians Oh, and at that conference, he stood up and said, I, I've spent so much time now these last two days with all these different groups of believers, and I don't understand it theologically. And he is uh, Francis Chan gets in a lot of trouble because he's more reformed, um, even though he's not like super loud about that, uh, more Calvinistic. And the Calvinists just bash him uh -oh. for associating with charismatics oh, okay. and Pentecostals. Okay. And uh, so he does this whole thing. So he says, like, I don't under, like, I love Mike Bickle. He's a brother. He's a brother. And then he looks at Matt Marr and Audrey and he's like, and I don't understand this either, but I feel like the scripture passage can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of you. I don't understand how we reconcile this theology, but they love Jesus Christ. Right. And so it, it was a powerful, powerful moment. And um, about uh, maybe a year or two ago, someone was interviewing Mike Bickle about um, prophecy. Yeah, and he said, you know, when you get these words and knowledge, you know what? How what percentage of them do you think are true? And he says, well, uh, and I, I can't get the quote exactly, but he said something like maybe eighty percent of what we say is true. Really? And he said, well, what about the twenty percent? He said, listen, in Saint Paul in First Corinthians twelve uh, or First uh, Corinthians thirteen says, when we prophesy, we prophesy partly or partially. Uh, and he said, and he said, so not, we don't always nail it. And then the guy said to him, basically, well, how do you know the difference? And he's like, we don't. We just humble ourselves and trust in the Lord. And that is what you're saying. When I say, thus saith the Lord, right? You are claiming the mantle of a prophet to speak God's word. That's what the false prophets did, too. Yeah. And that is yeah. and they might have believed their message. Right. To get a word of knowledge that is not a direct reference to sacred scripture 
is a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah. Like I had a word of knowledge prayed over me that was just scripture verses. Our, our mutual friend Thomas, he gave me one that I and I have shared this story before. I think actually when we talked about this, but I was struggling with huge issues of from my like childhood. And he, he was like, oh, but I didn't tell anyone that. I was, oh, pray for me for whatever. And he was going through scripture and he's like, this makes no sense of what you pray for. And I go, just say it, it'll be fine. And it was directly to the, what those issues were yeah. that I was like literally hiding. Right. And I, I broke down, but he was referencing scripture and encouraging me to turn to it. When we say these things, like the psychological effects over, let's say, a new Christian hearing stuff like God right. is telling me. You have me, to be very careful, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because there's then there's no there are so many leaders who don't have who might get puffed up, who don't have humility, who don't have restraint and are speaking words either not of the Lord or and are just of themselves or even more dangerously neither of the Lord or of themselves but from the evil one. Yeah. Yeah, so let so let's give some some principles here cuz I I think that yeah. cuz yeah. it's not neither of us disagree with right. healings and words of knowledge. I mean, we right. both know that they happen and and sometimes are the only thing that can bring people Of to course. Christ. Of course. And I would yeah. say that that you know, I I would say what, what you, the story you just told is important, right? Because yeah. it was specific and it was dead on and you knew God was working. It wasn't vague. The two yeah. times in my life and I and I tell you this that only two times can I say that well, in the confessional, this has happened a few times, but there's been two times in my life where I have been prayed with and somebody, actually, one of these stories isn't even mine. It's about my wife, you know, um, but but Sister Ann Shields one time, literally, I sat her next to my wife on purpose at a conference because we were speaking together and, and she had no <laughs> idea it was my wife. She had no clue. And she just turned to my wife and said, look, you don't know me and I don't know you, but I feel like God wants me to tell you something. And then for about 20 minutes like just nailed things on the head, very specific. And one time in college with Carol Brown, who, you know, Dr. Carol Brown, right? Love Dr. Brown. I mean, it was like, I literally for a few weeks afterwards was like, is she always reading my heart or did that just happen when I went for her to <laughs> like, went for her to pray over me? That's the way it felt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think one thing is God, if it is truly God, it's specific and it, and it rings, it rings true to the person. Like it actually breaks chains and it, you know, um, but also, uh, I would say we should be careful about, sp I, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever in my life ever said, God is saying this to you or some version of thus saith the Lord. Yeah. I think it's always more been less aggressive and more like, well, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm seeing or hearing because I'm a little bit nervous about just being a mouthpiece yeah. for God, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> What would you say to those who say to you, but we are baptized priest, prophet, and king? And if you're a prophet, then you should be speaking the words of the Lord often to people. Well, first of all, there's levels of the way God speaks in our church, right? First of all, first and foremost, through scripture and tradition, period. That's the, that's, we, we can stand on those words, okay? But then God speaks to people in prayer. And, and to be honest with you, like there are people in my life, um, you know, I, I've, I have thousands of people who pray for me every day and it's awesome. And some of them will send messages that they've received in prayer for me. And some of them will send a message just about once a week saying, God told me this about you. And I get to the point where I want to say like, 
well, that's super weird because I talk to God every single day and he's never said that to me. Like, why isn't he telling me that? Right. Like, <laughs> it, it, like, so we have to be, cer- we have to be careful about that. There are levels of the way God speaks to us. Of course, God can speak through another person, but first and foremost, God speaks through scripture and the church. And then through doctrine and those kinds of things. And it gets, you know, a little bit more dicey as we get down the line there. But I would say it, that everything should be should be approached with incredible humility and everything should be approached with um, a testing, right? A discernment mm-hmm. that this is lining up with scripture and this is lining up with what God yeah. wants and, uh, you know, uh, things like that. And, you know, uh, talking about discernment of spirits, who is discerning for you? You know, if you have a new Christian um, or someone who is coming to faith or has already, like, realizes, and when I say phrases like coming to faith, I mean they are, they they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who was risen on Easter Sunday. Like, if if this is new to them as an adult, who is helping them? They have no experience on discerning discerning right. the spirits right like they don't they don't know any of that stuff they don't know the rich right. patrimony of that theology and that spiritual right. practice right i mean test everything right right and and so who's doing that for them it should be not just and 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 this is a spiritual danger having one quote-unquote christian leader doing this to a, a newbie christian disciple um with this is where the community is so important if this is just one person this is where this stuff can be uh, very dangerous. So you should have a community of people that's helping discern. Yeah, and I, I would say another another important principle, if you're if you are open to using signs and wonders in evangelization, which we we want you to be, of course, would be this: be careful about places that teach technique. You know, um, I, I I think that that's uh, in a lot of ways uh, a pretty good kind of blanket statement for a lot of Catholicism, even when you're teaching people how to pray, if people yeah. teach technique over like moral living and, and just faithfulness, then, you know, there's usually something prob- a problem there. So, so give me a, for instance, so like, like for instance, um, the way you pray for healing is you must say these words, like, like mm-hmm. I command you to do that. Like I, I, that, that's a, that's hard for me to understand. And I think that there are, Catholic theologians, in fact, very famous Catholic theologians who would disagree with me on that. And I would love for them to explain it to me, but it's hard for me to understand because it has not been my experience that what I say matters all that much. Um, You know, when I pray for someone, I very rarely say anything out loud for one thing. Um, I, and I, and I usually, the words I say is Lord, if it's your will, you know, we would love for you to heal this person, but your will be done. That's what we want. We want your presence. So, so when you pray for healing for people and you rarely pray, uh, you're not really doing a super excited micro homily, <laughs> like 90% of the time I've ever been prayed over <laughs> heavenly father. We just, we just come against these strongholds that you reference no, here, Lord no, no. God. No, and, and I don't have any problem with that, but I just think like <laughs> if you're teaching people that that's how it happens, like technique yeah. is a pro like that's not, that's never been the case. And in fact, it puts you in the, in the company of some very strange, uh, People, I mean, technique has always been more the side of magic as opposed to. Now, I'm not talking about liturgy. Obviously, when it comes to liturgy, there are yeah. rules and techniques you have to you have to do. But when it comes to just personal prayer, personal holiness, like technique, it, it goes very little. And and what I would say is, um, 
I think the words comfort the person sometimes because I know that like um, I, I was in Hawaii like uh, two years ago and they asked us to pray over people. And I usually don't like offer that. I usually don't pray over people. It, it not, it's not that I don't feel comfortable. I just, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, have just felt like that's not what God has wanted to use me through. Um but they asked us to pray over people, so I did, and and I and I just you know pr- prayed for this one lady, and um, she closed her eyes, and and I, I didn't even really say anything, and then at the end I just said thank you so much for her life, and we we give her back to you, Lord, and, and I ended the prayer, and she opened her eyes, and she said that's it, okay, and then she walked away so disappointed, you know, because she didn't hear the words <laughs> I was saying, and I felt disappointed then, but I think that like that's yeah. one way to 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 kind of discern through this is like if their teaching technique that might be a problem that might be a problem you know yeah the okay, the elevation of technique is um i think is a form of misguided discipleship yeah like this is how you do it right it's friday night no um <laughs> this is how we do it no so the because you can you can see the danger in it because in, in a lot of ways um what benefits you spiritually will benefit me spiritually especially if i'm a rookie if I don't right. know how to walk the way of the Lord Jesus and I look to a, a more mature Christian, the danger is uh, I can absolutize the relative. The right. way he does it is not necessarily the way I need to do it, right? But in just learning the ropes of how to do this practice right. called following the way of the Lord Jesus, in learning how to do that, it benefits me to imitate people. Right. It benefits me from adopting this. But the problem is the the rigidity of, of the technique becomes stifling to what the Holy Spirit wants. And it's funny to me that in so many of these, um, like the experience of the charismatic renewal for me was an experience of freedom. Sure. Of walking sure, in the sure. freedom of the Holy Spirit. Sure. But once you, um, there's an element of fear, and I'm going to tell you how many times I have lied to people or manipulated them to feel like I was doing the charismatic thing because I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, okay. I was relying on technique, and I I shouldn't say lie to people. I wasn't lying, but I was so afraid of them being disappointed with their prayer with Sure, sure. That I preached the mini-sermon and would do the, you know, use cliches that might hit home to people or one-liners or you know, Heavenly Father, we just we just come against their spirit of inadequacy, you know, or whatever it might be, with my excited voice and tempo changing right. and all this. And it's not that I was doing it because I wanted to, like I was being malicious and wanting to hurt. I wanted this person to walk away yeah. with an experience sure. of the love of God. Sure. So it was all motivated out of this zeal. And this is this is mostly like when I first started doing this stuff, right? Um, because I would see people that would come up to my buddy um, Brian. And he would pray over them. And then they would leave, and they were like, that was the most powerful experience. Like, oh, my goodness. The problem was I didn't really realize what Brian was doing. Brian was doing what you were doing. 90% of what he was doing was quiet prayer. Yeah. And then he would say – and he he would pray with people – Two minutes, and, one minute, and and I, you know, I would say Gomer too. Like Brian, uh, if it's the same, I think it's the same person yes, we're talking about. Yeah. Like he, he's a holy, he was a holy guy. Yeah, I think that there is a danger in. I, I mean, I believe that God in the charismatic renewal poured out His charisms on many, on and all the baptized people have charisms, but holiness does play a role in this. And so, like a lot of people will say, like, well, wait a minute, He sent out the disciples two by two. And he gave them power over sickness and to cast out demons and all that kind of stuff. But don't forget, like, 
in the gospels, the disciples were sent out without a tune, like a second tunic, with a walking yeah, a stick in hand, bag. without money. I mean, those are gospel signs of holiness, right? Like poverty yeah. was a was yeah. a scriptural sign of holiness. So, so yeah. um, And and here's the deal. This is a thing that really infuriates me. Oh okay. boy. Oh boy. That is, I mean, infuriates. That is cherry picking. Right. Scripture. Oh, of course it is. Right. So is. they go out like just because I, I, I mean, I have right here one of my favorite tools. And by right here, I'm gesturing to my iMac for those of you who can't see me. Uh, my favorite tool is BibleGateway.com. Yeah, you right. type in a word, you get, you get, there's 60 English translations all for free. Um, and one of the things that you can do that is good and powerful and dangerous and wrong <laughs> in different ways is you can type in a word. And think you're studying the Bible because you're reading yep. all the different times. Like I typed in signs, right? Clicked Romans, brought up Romans 15, talked about the word and deed and having signs, signs and wonders. Um, now, the issue with this is you end up distorting scripture by taking it out of context, even though it feels like you're, well, I'm going to look every single time the word signs is used or working wonders or healing the sick or something like that, um, you know, the problem is Jesus sent out the disciples two by two into the towns of Judea and um, and Galilee to prepare for him physically getting to that town to then preach the gospel. So they are literally John the Baptist roles. Right, right. They are preparing the way. And for people who do not want to, I mean, they're, they're literally preparing the way for Jesus to walk into that town. It's not just something like that you can just take and say, well, that's what I'm doing right now. Now, analogously, yes, we are preparing the way for the Lord Jesus into people's hearts. But it, it's this whole thing of these men are are heralds of the king coming to their town to preach a very Jewish-centered gospel. They're not going to Rome. They're not there. It was very specific. And I think when people just see the signs and wonders and they wrench it out of context and shove it into our con there's a little there's a lot of nuance that needs to be done there. Yeah. And there's a lot of editing that needs to be done with all my rambling. <laughs> no, no. That that was good. I and I think I I would I would give another one more kind of important principle. Okay. Mm. It it is very common in this kind of movement within a movement to talk about the presence of God. And oh, and, yeah, and particularly yeah. the glory of the Lord. Yeah. And I think as evangelists, this is the part where we need to be the most careful, and I'll and I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, one one of my favorite speakers, one of my I could watch him all day. Right, it is very common to see a video of him, uh, and, and he'll say something like this: "If we praise hard enough, right, um, we'll we'll experience the glory of the Lord. We'll we'll draw the glory of the Lord down into this room." And we'll experience those signs and wonders, right? And I could watch this guy all day. He's so just charismatic and so uh, just, it, it, it really, it feels anointed. I mean, I feel very freed when I hear him talking. And I, I love everything he says besides this. Um, but very commonly in these videos, he's standing about 20 feet away from the tabernacle, right? So you have to be very careful to say, I'm asking for the Lord's presence to come down into this room when you are standing in front of the actual presence of Jesus, right? And and if if you're if you're wondering about this, right, the Shekinah glory, I mean in Catholic theology it's pretty clear it it lives in the tabernacle, right? The Shekinah uh, the glory of the Lord lives within the tabernacle. So I think as evangelists we have to be careful because we're we're setting people up for failure in a sense that well they don't feel God's manifest presence so God must not be present. When we we know in yeah. actuality the real presence of God, right? The the most profound this side of heaven 
is in the Holy Eucharist. And that that is what we need to put the really the the brunt of the the focus on. Yeah. And if you want to understand what the charismatic renewal or what what the emphasis on the gifts over the giver results in, you have first Corinthians as a right. letter. The church in Corinth was I mean, St. Paul is explicit in saying, I want you to receive all the spiritual gifts. I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all. Desire the higher gifts. All of that stuff. It is the charismatic letter that so many, uh, so much of the renewal goes to, especially chapters 12 and 14. But the whole thing is filled with it. And it's also filled with the problems that come when you overemphasize the gifts rather than the giver. When you become fixated on signs and wonders instead of the God that it points to and the conversion that leads men and women to that God. And um, so me and Dave both are, though we had two totally different journeys, we both live through and exercise our ministry through the charisms of the Holy Spirit. The charisms of the Holy Spirit are not just for quote unquote charismatics, right? As Catholics, we are all charismatics. Every one of us are charismatics because the charisms are gifts. That's what the word means in Greek given to the human heart who has faith in Christ for the building up of the kingdom, the manifestation of our charisms. Now, your charism might be evangelization. Your charism might be intercessory prayer. It might not be speaking in tongues. It might not be words of knowledge. So the problem when people emphasize the certain sensational ones over these other ones, I, I and they de-emphasize doctrine, when they de-emphasize holiness because they want to democratize the spirit, which I'm in favor of, right, in a lot of ways, that's where the danger creeps in. When it departs from doctrine, when it departs from the tradition of the church, um, when it isolates people or whether to make them leaders above everyone else or it isolates new beginners with just one person, like those are signs of the evil one's presence of uh, or of just pride run amok. Yeah. And so that's our caution. I, I don't think we should do five practical takeaways. This is a us thinking out loud about yeah. a common theme we're seeing. Yeah, I, I would say Gomer too, um, and I don't want to open up further. I think we've, we've, we've covered yeah. what we need to cover, but... Um, they most of these people in this new movement of evangelization would disagree with you that they would say that all disciples have words of knowledge and all disciples have mm -hmm. healing and and i think most of them actually believe in a theology of impartation that like if one person doesn't have it that another believer can give it to them um which i i i find troublesome too but but the but the point is this th this is what i think if you're wondering how to proceed if you're interested in the idea of evangelization, like they call it power evangelization or signs and wonders, right? Which I, I, don't, I don't even agree with the name power evangelization because all evangelization is powerful. Introducing someone to Jesus Christ is powerful. Um, the way I usually tell people is this. Focus on holiness, prayer, moral life, and then premature deployment. Step out of the boat and God shows up. And I, and I'm and I'm not. Um, uh, don't focus on technique. Don't don't you don't you don't necessarily need to go to a school or something like that. Focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ, and then boldly follow Him wherever He'll go. And and I, I promise you, at some point you will you will see the signs and wonders, and you'll and you'll um, get to participate in, in some of this. But the most important thing, remember, of a disciple is time spent with with the one that we follow, and that's Jesus Christ. So. 
Yeah, and just remember, St. Paul says, uh, in church, I rather I would rather th- uh, speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's important because he, he's the same guy that says, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all, still sees the importance of delivering the truth. And the truth matters more than feelings, but ultimately our feelings can lead us into deeper truth. Right, because they propel us, they move us. That's why they're called emotions. But the the moment we put our emotions first, or and I don't mean in just a slappy, happy, joy, joy sort of way, but like the rating of subjective experience as the definitive form, I think becomes extraordinarily dangerous to the spiritual life. And you know who else thinks that? Every spiritual writer in the church. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I hope I hope no one I, I hope you all took this exactly the way we meant it and that is to be open to this but also that we have some cautions with it because uh, yeah. like, like with anything um, yeah. you know what what's important is that we follow Jesus Christ that's what's important and, and anytime you get into technique over that uh, we can get we can get a little bit muddled there so uh, I hope that that has been helpful and we'll be praying for you you're uh, entering your transitional diaconate. Uh, the, the big game's coming, you know, this is great. And we'll be praying for this, uh, this guy who sent us this awesome question. And, um, uh, I'm sure this is going to come up again, Gomer. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think it should, here's the deal. We are having an ongoing conversation about things related to evangelization. This isn't a normal episode where we talk about this. This is a cautionary tale from two dudes who have been thinking about this stuff for a, a while. And my big, my big fear is just what you said or it's just kind of what we've been saying, kind of both of us, that my fear is new Christians who are l- walking into their Catholic faith for the first time by overzealous people lose sight of the gospel. And I don't ever want them to think that just because I can manifest, just because there might be some extraordinary things happening, that that is reason for me not to pursue holiness and proximity to Jesus, whether it's in the sacrament of the altar or, you know, in sacred scripture we as Catholics, we venerate both. So, all right, everyone, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow, an ongoing conversation, debate, struggle, and warfare over the gospel. Uh, I'm Mike <laughs> Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by my homeboy, my on house arrest boy, <laughs> Dave the Luddite Van Bickle. God bless you all. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>